Welcome to The Mindful Mess with Gene and Matt. I'm Gene. And I'm Matt. Let's make sense of our mess together. together. Hey, everyone. This is Matt. I'm a psychiatrist who is a queer, autistic, and an ex-Mormon survivor of trauma from conversion therapy. As an empath with emotionally impulsive nature, I seek growth in managing my reactions while learning how others experience the world. And a little bit about me, I'm Jean. Um, I am a first-generation queer Chinese-American, um, and I'm a fitness professional working in the city. Um, and a lot of what I'm bringing uh, to this conversation is uh, actually learning a little bit about the culture gap that I've kind of experienced my whole life and figuring out how to navigate my life experience through that cultural lens. Um, and I identify as someone who's uh, very analytical and very philosophical, but what I want to bring forth in this podcast is to uh, learn how to bring more emotionality to those conversations and ascribe deeper meaning to the things that we experience in our lives. We feel like uh, we both kind of bring two very different experiences and we hope that we can impart um, some of that on each other mm -hmm. um, in a way to find balance in our lives. Yeah. And we hope you guys enjoy, enjoy the ride with us. Hi. Hey, Hello. everybody. Hey, welcome back, friends, to the Mindful Mess. It's been a minute, yeah. but we are here. Yeah, after... excited to be back. Yes, we had our little fall episode to just kind of scramble and wander and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah and I heard... Free roam. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, and kind of ended up being some thought for provoking asides <laughs> yeah but when does it ever not right yeah. Um, yeah well today we wanted to uh with oh, episode 22 mm -hmm. um talk about the myths of mind reading yes the myths of mind reading a topic i feel shows up in just about every daily interaction right so mm -hmm. i don't know how I'm thinking of things like, imagine a situation where, I mean, some really obvious ones, right? Where let's say you're in a conversation and I feel like the way that it shows up really frequently is you're in the middle of expressing a thought and let's say the person you're talking to will be like, oh, I know what you're going to say, right? Mm -hmm. Or they just finish the sentence for you. Okay. That's a very literal example of mind reading. Yeah. Right? But there's also less um, obviously observable ways of mind reading, mm -hmm. which is happens a lot more in the sort of like um, internal world, which is to say like, I also think mind reading is a lot of like when we take in information about the world around us, we look at someone's behavior and we might think that we know the reason why they are behaving or acting or speaking, expressing a certain way. I think mm -hmm. that's also a version of mind reading that doesn't mean that um, it doesn't have to be like a outwardly vocalized conversation and it can influence behaviors. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Is that, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, that's where it can get a little dicey. Um, mm. Because a lot of times, I, I feel like a lot of times when people are mind reading, it's because they're personalizing something. Um, mm -hmm. Or 
they are, you know, it's because they're making assumptions or inferences um, that the other person's behavior is in some way related to them. Yes, I, I definitely get that. I agree with you. I think yeah, it can so be. Like, I think it can be for a lot of different reasons, for mm-hmm. sure. Like I also think that when you are really familiar with somebody, you. I think there's um, whether or not it's an in, interior expectation that we hold of ourselves, or whether it's something that's kind of like socially imprinted upon us, which is I think this construct that when you've known someone for a long time, that you'll you're gonna know what they're gonna say. You're going to know what they want. You're going to know what they're going to ask for from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and or or you may take pride in the sense of being like, oh, I'm really good at like reading the room. I'm really good at knowing, being able to anticipate others needs. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I find myself still very much on one side of the I find myself a little bit on the fence with that sometimes. How so? And get into that um, which is I think there are some times in which it actually can be very useful mm-hmm. um, and then I also think there's times in which it's very much not useful and I think it's situationally dependent mm-hmm. and I think it's also something that depends on the the people involved who are communicating that way and it needs to be a shared language for how to operate not a shared language even a shared way of operating mm-hmm. right more than just what you say and speak right so well i want to i want to i feel like we we kind of we sort of carved out the shape of what mind reading is but let's let's kind of define it in a very clear way so mind reading to me is when you typically will make an assumption or you will decide that you know what someone else is going to is going to think or feel or say and you either respond in an interactive way right to based on that uh, assumption or that uh, belief of knowing Mm -hmm. um, or you make decisions within yourself based on yeah the way that they without present. confirmation without necessarily yeah really confirming it i yeah and i think the i think the where that i think it's that point right there um without that really makes the difference mm-hmm. like it, i think it's one thing to try and like use intuition and make inferences about um, a person's thoughts and feelings and behaviors um, but to rely on that as fact um, that's where there's a problem like it's one thing if you want to use that um, as a guide mm-hmm. but it cannot be relied upon as kind of any kind of there's no you can't you cannot confirm that as like a, uh, or I mean you can't like you should confirm that essentially like I think that's something that's um, on us but I, I think that comes down to the conversation about like where it can be useful 
Um, because part of it being useful, I think, is up to us and how we use it. Right. Yeah, so give me an example. Let me, you, you just take the floor first on this one. What can you think of as being an example of a time where mind reading could actually be a useful mechanism? Um, so, well, so I think mind reading can only be useful if we... If it's depersonalized, um, and we look are looking at the big picture, um, and trying to look at the situation as objectively as possible without using emotional reasoning. So, and what I mean by emotional reasoning is like without using our own emotions. Um, as data points okay and how we or even our own like insecurities because like where mind reading i think often is a problem is especially in like relationships whether they're romantic or platonic whatever whatever they look like mm. <clears throat> where we or familial yeah um too. where we make inferences about a person's thoughts feelings or behaviors um in a way that like personalizes them and it's like well um when i was talking they made a look and so therefore i know that they didn't like what i was saying um and like kind of mind reading in that way um i think is is problematic mm-hmm. um and so if we can remove like the personalization making it what the look that they did being about what I said or did. Mm. Um, now maybe it is, but like it also could be that like what I said or did reminded them of something from the past that was painful. And like, yet like what I said or did, there was nothing wrong with it at all. Um, or maybe they, cause I know I don't track conversations 100% and I oftentimes get lost in thought when someone's talking, even when someone's talking to me. So like, who knows, maybe they have something going on in their world that doesn't revolve around you. Um, and so like, um, maybe they're gassy. I don't know. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. why they have that look, um, in that moment when you were talking, um, there could be so many things. Um, maybe they did have an issue with it, but like, if so, if it's a big enough thing, you address it and talk about it. Mm-hmm. You don't just rely on your mind reading about it um, mm-hmm. to then uh, like change your behaviors. Um, but ultimately, it's up to every adult or like every health, you know, or I should say healthy person, um, because we all have a healthy person inside of us, like a healthy adult person. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, can kind of take a step back and look at things in a depersonalized way. Um, And even if it is about ourselves, like it's like we have to, it's up to us to not then 
make decisions that are going to, you know, like, mag like exacerbate the situation or make it worse. Um, if it if it truly is like something that we um, that may be about us, rather than like letting it cause like resentment or distancing or anything like that, we have to address it. I don't know. I kind of went on a tangent about like. Mm. No, <laughs> um, that's okay. I'm I'm following you though. Like I I understand what you mean by saying that like it can create a cascade of essentially like the way that I would phrase it is like inaccurately placed subsequent interactions. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like you painted an example of like having a conversation with someone, and let's say you make a certain kind of comment or you state an opinion or you share a story. And like you can see like a look, for example, come over someone's face. You might perceive that in a number of different ways. Like you might you might perceive a look from like, let's say their look was sort of like neutral or even like positive and interested. And then you saw like maybe a dark moment come over their face. You might think like, oh, that person doesn't like the person I just talked about in the story or disapproves of what of my decision making in the story I shared or they're uncomfortable with the fact that I'm telling them this story right now right Mm -hmm. so there's a bunch of different places that we can go and I think especially in an example like that when when you're when you're met with what you perceive to be like an unfriendly energy then you're kind of left to kind of figure out like you could be left to figure it out but I think that you have the choice to kind of um like you said, depersonalize it, which is to say, like, to not really make anything more of it, that, like, because I think that we're, as people, we're sensitive to judgment about things, yeah. and I think that when when, pe- when someone's face turns, it can oftentimes feel like they're making a judgment about something, but you're right, I think, like, really, it can be a number of different things, um, you know, I think it can go in the you know in the in the opposite direction too is that like sometimes i think people can be emoting in ways that are an attempt to empathize with you or even perhaps um inviting themselves into conversation in a way that is an attempt to connect but it doesn't always land either right so i also think yeah. about times where like i think about times where i've tried to be like empathic and, and emotionally supportive in a conversation and so i'll like i'll affirm by saying things like yes i understand that oh my hear you and or i'll say things like oh that sounds really awful or oh that sounds really exciting and i feel like there are times where my i make an assumption that this is how the person likes to receive Mm -hmm. in a conversation and i find that like sometimes people find that um they may find that a bit intrusive Right. Or they may find it a bit assumptive, like, you know, so like one of the things I feel like I have an inclination when people tell me something. Like, let's say they share with me a story about like, oh, this thing happened over the weekend from my experience and from my understanding of what most people will consider to be positive or negative events. I'll tend to ascribe a certain like, oh, that must be so blank for you Mm -hmm. that you must feel so blank. Right. But this is an example of language that makes more of an assumption, right? Instead of saying like, oh, you must feel awful about that, or oh, you must be so upset, right? Or I would be so upset if I were you. 
realizing sometimes that like, I know for me, it was a big learning lesson and I still don't succeed with this on a, on a, you know, every case basis, but that that's actually assumptive language, right? Mm -hmm. Which is instead kind of being like, you could always just ask like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, how did you feel about that? How, How did that make you feel? Right. Um, or how did you feel when that happened, right? To be even more kind of woke about it. Yeah. Um, what was that like for you? What was that like for you? Exactly. So I think like, I think it can go in lots of different directions. You can be really, you could be somewhat unaware that you're maybe projecting a certain kind of energy. You could be receiving a certain kind of energy and making, jumping to a conclusion about what that what that interaction means. Mm-hmm. Or you could be attempting to be helpful yeah and in 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 essence in reality without having checked in and having read their mind about it right you might be not helping right for example like um we've talked about this probably a little bit here and there but like um we know for a fact that like for many people um physical touch is a way of comforting them Mm -hmm. however not everyone is comfortable with physical touch as a comforting mechanism and furthermore it's highly specific um they may be in a certain state of mind you might be a certain person to them that they have decided like this is not someone who i really engage in physical intimate physical touch in any way with yeah and so you may sort of out of instinct read their mind and think this person seems like they're in a tough place let me just like pull them in for a hug or let me just like hold their hand right yeah um and that could that, be worse. And that could make things worse because depending on that person's state, they may not really find that very welcome. Yeah. So the, well, I mean, I think that's the main problem with mind reading is when we're mind reading, we are looking at situations through our own worldview and our own lens. Um, and we are making inferences purely from our lived experience. And we don't know what is like they yes, they may have been upset by something like um, really like a, when we said something, but like that could be because of like a past memory that was like un, that came up and that was uncomfortable for them. It may not be even related. Um, certainly we want to like check in with somebody if it seems like they're upset with something but we can't like just decide we know how to respond to that or like mm. um, what they need or um, yeah I mean we have to we can like express like what we're observing we can note what we're observing um, and we can yeah ask um, if our abs like what it is that we are observing, um, and what they need from us, um, as it relates to that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think I think it's about like there's in any given interaction there is always there's an there's n plus one spaces that mm-hmm. exist. And what I mean by that is, like, let's say I'm in a conversation, a one-on-one conversation with you, for you know, like we are right now. There's my thoughts, language, emotive behavior, and then there's yours. But then there's this additional one that is the space that sort of resides between us in that moment of interaction Mm -hmm. and i think it's about both choosing to enter that space in which there is a sort of 
contract of sorts that it's important to clarify and it's important to clarify and and recognize that we're I'm going to go into that interaction with a certain level of bias or a certain level of previous mind space and that you're going to also bring the same but that we're coming in there and kind of it's it I suppose it's a bit of like I think of it like there's a dance to it like there's a sort of there's a flow to it mm-hmm. which is kind of like I mean we we all do this I think in I would say somewhat like they've become so automatic that they they don't really serve the mechanisms of conversation the way that they probably could be. What I mean by this is like, you know, when you talk to someone, you typically say, hi, how are you? Right? Like, hello, hey, how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. And that, like, I think we take that for granted. We Most of us probably code that as just like a reflex at this point. Yeah, right? I think that's but, something that's been challenging for me because a lot of times people aren't, they're not saying that with a question mark at the end. They're yeah, saying it as it's a, a statement. statement. It's just kind of like a hello is too short of a phrase. So I'm going to say, hello, how are you? As just like, it's yeah. just a, a way of greeting. But, you know, if, if we, you know, take something as simple as that and dissect it to the nth degree, you know, you could argue that like this is an opportunity for you to go in. Like when you exchange the hello, how are you? It's an opportunity for you to gauge the other person's mindset a little bit. And kind of being like, is this person having a good day? Is this person having a tough day? This will help really guide the conversation. Mm-hmm. But instead, what I think, like, what it is now is it's sort of like, hey, I'm good. How about you? Oh, yeah, I'm good, too. Okay, good. Now we got that part out, out of the way. Now I can focus on saying whatever I need to get from this person. Right? Especially in today's world where I mm-hmm. feel like it's just kind of demand. It's very... To be, to be, to be fair, I think that in matters of, like, you know, in certainly in matters of work, it's very much just like we say that to just kind of I know. say well, it. Usually, it's then... like I hope you're well. It's like, um, and which drives me nuts because it's like, if you really hope I'm well, wouldn't you be inquisitive about my well-being rather than just mm. saying like, "Hope you're well," but I actually don't want you to tell me. Mm. So we're just gonna leave it. That's the fluff I'm gonna start my email with. And then I'm going to like go into what I need from you. Um, And I just like, just get rid of that part. Like, I know that you aren't actually think you probably even just have a quick Mm -hmm. phrase where you can just be like, or your computer, you're like, start to say hope and you're Then you just have to hit tab to finish because your computer's predictively um, knows what to put there. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not like you're actually thinking about how well I am. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I hear, I, I get what you're saying there. Um, We're kind of going I, off of mind reading, though. I think. But. I, I think it is. No, no, it is. It's still relevant. Yeah. I think that it's like. Um, I think it's a small, small way that most of us don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, is that going to change anytime soon? Probably not. Like, like, I don't think we're saying like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden you have to start treating work emails as like. Like, oh, I want to hear about, like, your kids. Oh, no, I, I don't even want that. Like, just no. get right to what you want. So you're saying, yeah, you're saying... I don't even need you to say... Being like, you don't need hey, to Hey, Matt, feign just be like, just like, as if you're texting me. Just like, yeah. send me an email like that. You don't that. need to feign You can this fit it in the like... subject line. Why even bother with the body? Fair, fair. <laughs> just like, get straight to the point. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think it's a cultural thing, for sure. 
Like, I think there's people out there who, as as empty as it is, it, it still feels like a comfort. It feels like a comfortable and familiar um, mechanism for them. So it's sort of like it just like softens and creates the space of like, OK, like this is what we say at the beginning of a conversation, you know, and some folks, I think, will run with it and be a little bit more like, no, I'm actually going to answer that question, <laughs> you know, which I guess if you're the person asking, be prepared, be prepared for people to, you know, maybe I mean, certainly if you ask me if I'm having a hard day. I would say to anyone who I feel like I have the rapport I will be honest with them and I will say like oh yeah. I'm just okay like I'm just okay you know I'm, I'm not great but I'm not I'm not in poor shape either yeah right so that's always interesting because I feel like you get you'll be like oh okay <laughs> you know have you ever seen the girlfriend's talk show skit from SNL is that the one with Jimmy Fallon no no. That's um That's the one where she's like a like teenage girl or whatever. whatever. Yeah, I yeah. love that script. <laughs> it's so silly. Yeah, no girlfriend sucks show was with um AD Bryant and um Cicely Strong. Oh, okay, yes. And AD and what what AD goes is like the, they're supposed to be like teenage girls, uh like besties who have their a little like um YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um and uh AD Bryant plays kind of this awkward um, like innocent, naive girl, um, and uh, when at one point they're like checking in on to see like just everybody's saying how they're doing, and she goes, "I am the most Morgan I can be right now," and sometimes you know that's just like yeah, that's how I feel. Well, that's like all, and that's okay. Like that's works. <laughs> yes, I am the most yes. Matt I can be <laughs> right this minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just think, I, I think that, I don't know what I think. I, I think that like people use mind reading as a, I think people use it as a cognitive like tool. Yes. I think they see it as, um, some of them, I think some folks see it as a flex of their intelligence. It's a sort of badge of how well you know someone. Do you know what we call it in psychology? What do we call it in psychology? A cognitive trap. Cognitive, or a thinking trap. A or thinking trap. They're also, or it's like a, um, like it's, it's their flawed reasoning. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with that. I think that, I mean, I think I've, I've used this actually for, I feel like as far back as my early 20s, I used to just sort of like brandish this phrase and... As a younger adult, I brandished this phrase thinking I knew what it meant, but more and more layers of it tend to show itself over time, which is that, like, I always would say that, like, assumptions and expectations are some of the worst things that you can really carry forward in conversations because they really they really never really play out for you. They're based on, like, um our inherently imperfect ability to perceive information. Mm -hmm. Just the, the, the fact that we can't possibly know everything, right? That we're so limited in our, we're so limited in our understanding of what other people's experience truly is like. Yeah. You know, and we can all feel like, I mean, we can all feel a certain way. Like I think we can all relate generally to what it feels like to be 
frustrated, to feel joyous, to feel impatient, to feel insert whatever feeling here, whether it's an emotion or whether it's a sort of state, body state. I think most of us understand what the word, how the word translates to a feeling we've had. Mm-hmm. But what we don't understand is that everyone experiences those things at different levels in different ways in response to different situations. Yeah. And I think that's where the mind reading starts to become a pitfall because you're going to be lensing what you think that person's doing based on your experience of the world. And that's yeah. just like you can't, you can't necessarily operate that way um, because, yeah, everyone does experience things differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for me, I mean, a lot, I mean, a lot of times, especially, especially neurotypical people, um, they tend to assume that everybody else operates with their lens, um, this, because this like socially conforming lens. Um, and like for me, when like I don't really like emote unless I tell myself to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like when I'm in a conversation with somebody, you know, it, it might be kind of like you're on a video visit and experiencing a lag because like you might say something and not see any reaction on me until like in my head. I'm like, oh, you're supposed to make this face and then I'll like make the face, but it might not be timed properly. Um, and so if somebody's like making inferences based on my reactions, I also might not have been making the right face um, because like I don't always mm-hmm. necessarily like. As if there was such a thing as the right face. There's the face that is, like, societally defined as the most appropriate face to be making. Yeah. In a given situation. Oh, yeah. oh this, is some, this is a good story. I, I should smile or laugh. You yeah. You know what I mean? Or, or this, is, this is a, a time of, of... This is a time when this, this person is expressing frustration. I should furl, furl my brow and, like... Yeah. You know, oh, I also disapprove of this person's actions. You know what I mean? Being like... that. That's such a... It, I mean, the script is there because... It is grounded in truth, mm-hmm. but it is a script that then becomes over prescriptive. Yeah. Or a lot sense. of times like people will be saying something that they think was horrible. And I'm like, what of it? Like, mm. um, I'm not, I'm not following. And they're just like, I like, and they're looking for a response and I'm all, mm-hmm. what's, what's the problem? Like, mm-hmm. did you say it already? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, like, I, I'm all, go on, like, okay. Which, which is, I think, <laughs> which is actually, I think, a big part, there's a lot of value in that in terms of knowing, because I think we're, I, I don't want to say comparing ourselves to people all the time, but I think that we notice how our lived experience can contrast from other people, and a lot of times it gives us perspective. So, like, an example I think of when you say something like that is someone being like, you know, someone coming to you, let's say they want to confide in you and tell you a story of something that really, something that was like so awful that happened to them that day. And your perception is like, what, where, did you get to the part where the problem happened? This might be like, you know, I don't know, that the conversation could go a, a number of ways at that point. But one way I would imagine it could go is that person kind of being like, huh, Maybe that maybe I made a really big deal out of that and I like didn't need to, right? Or it could go on the flip side. You as the person who doesn't see doesn't see it as a problem being like, "Oh. Oh wow, like that seemingly small behavior, that seemingly non-problematic uh event seemed to really distress this person. I wonder if there's situations in my life where, well, you know, like it 
it makes us realize like, oh, wow, like, I wonder if like I've been subjected to something like this and I didn't even realize it was happening. So like you see, it, yeah. can, it can happen a number of like there can be some learning there in either direction, yeah. I think. I think more often than not, what I find is that like people a lot of times end up making something into a problem because they've mind read. Or that they they think they're mind reading, mm-hmm. um, but really they're um, they're just like applying their own like problematic past um, as a as like a way to it's a it's like a metric. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like I think of somebody like I've had times where I mean because ultimately I'm hearing people tell me about problems all the time um and so like same yeah (laughs) yeah um and so uh like if they sometimes they'll tell me something and i'm like wait help me help me connect how you went from like what your boss said um about your performance to that meaning um like they think you are a terrible employee like mm. help me make that connection i'm like wait wait like walk me through it and then like and a lot of times it's like somewhere along the way an assumption was made yeah right or something was perhaps blown blown something that happened that existed outside the reality of what transpired let's say mm-hmm. right or let's say like words were exchanged mm-hmm. and then it became like oh my god i like I'm having an anxiety response and was like as I'm hearing the words or something like that. Yeah. Right. Or they experience guilt or something like that. And it like it colors. It puts like a, a certain kind of filter over the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just going to say that, uh, that that's something I wanted to like touch on a little bit is like what what is the negative consequence of mind reading? And I think you're touching on this right here is that like we may jump to our reaction may be if we make an assumption in that moment and then we behave and respond on the grounds of that assumption then the the interaction starts yeah. to go awry and if it's we no be- wonder when it's no wonder conflict can escalate rather quickly and yeah. in, a, in a rather disproportionate way because then one reaction starts to lead to another and then another one to another one, especially when people start to get emotionally charged in the moment. Mm-hmm. And then the other person's going to be inclined to react in that emotionally charged way as well. Well, and I mean, more often than not, when we act on an assumption that we haven't confirmed, we end up making it so. Oh, I see what you're saying. Because if it's I start like... to behave... In a way, if I start to behave um, or adjust my behavior changes based on my assumption, like let's say um, my assumption, my boss gave me some feedback and I, to, I'm assuming that they're trying, they're like, um, um, like Criticizing. they're making plans to fire me or something like that. Like uh-huh. if I go there um, or something and then. Um, I start to behave like adjust my behavior changes based on this belief that they're going to fire me based on how me mind reading. Um, 
then I'm probably going to start like, well, for some, like some might ship, like shape up and improve, but then some might just like resign to that belief and become a bad employee and, and ultimately lead to them being fired. Yeah. I see what you're saying for sure. Like it will, it's, it's like if you, if you experience a certain kind of reaction to something, it, even if it's not, even if it's not grounded in like the fact of the matter or whatever the, you know, like, let's take that example that of someone giving you sort of like, let's say they ha like you were, you're working with them and they give you like a constructive criticism and you sort of take that to mean that like you're failing or that you are a failure or that you've done something wrong and you start to react in defense because you fear for something like that, then you react in defense or maybe you, you do kind of, you believe that narrative about yourself and you start to kind of feel your, your performance suffer in that situation. Then in, in essence, what you thought became truth, right? Instead of maybe checking that and kind of being like, Hmm, you know, is that really the case? Do I have, I have the choice to kind of engage in that thought in that way? Or is it possible? I mean, this is like very like cognitive behavior. Mm -hmm. behavioral kind of work which is sort of like when you think as soon as you think something you are telling yourself something you can ask yourself is that true like is that actually what happened or mm -hmm. am I telling myself a story and then what I tend to think about next is can I think of um, any other alternative reasoning to explain why this might be the case or is it the, the case that none of this is none of what I've told myself is true yeah right? well I think a good I like the way that like ACT does it or acceptance and commitment therapy the way that they look at a thought is you know we can look at all every thought kind of like it's just a piece of information um, that we can kind of take in, in isolation and look at it and then use the data, the other data that we have related to the situation. Um, we can also check in and be like, how much of this thought is related to my past um, and is being, um, and how much of it is like being inferred because of my past experience. Um, and then if I like use all of the data that I have, like the context of the situation, um, then ultimately from there, I still only have an inference. Mm -hmm. I still only have a guess, my best guess. Mm -hmm. Um, now if it's not about anybody else and it's just about me, um, then like I ultimately it, well, then we're not getting into mind reading, but like, uh, so if we're, if it is about somebody else from there, I still just have my best guess. Um, and I can confirm that with someone before I act, which is a good way to do that. Um, and, uh, or I can look at it in a way where I ask myself, like, is it, is this helpful for me um, to even give any more time to? Um, 
or like to believe is it helpful for me to believe this and if it's not helpful like is there something i can do with it that would be helpful so like yeah confirming can i take this thought and then go confirm it with someone or like a check with somebody to make sure that that's accurate um or like if i choose to believe it and make it useful so like let's say like i was saying the example about like a boss who gives some criticism um like do i take that my belief that that could mean i'm about to be fired to then correct like change my behavior in a way that makes me let future less likely um or if it if i truly do based on all the evidence that i have or maybe they are doing a lot of like um, um, downsizing, maybe like, so maybe really like my inference is that something is coming um, based on something my boss said as I'm seeing all this other stuff. Then I can, you make that useful and start to look for other jobs. Um, or like, instead of like what a lot, of, a lot of times people will do is they become so overcome by the, uh, the negative thinking um, that they engage they engage in ways that don't serve them mm. yeah I, th I think that's true that may like for example they may engage in they may not necessarily engage in that situation differently but they may respond in other ways so for example they like let's say that that starts to create a very like self-harming esteem or like self-harming view right and then what happens is uh maybe they engage in like coping behaviors that aren't healthy for them mm -hmm. so it could be like neither the whole like they may not necessarily be defensive with their boss or um have anything be affected at work in that direct way but they may in as a result like um uh, fail to take care of themselves yeah start hitting or, substances more or, or yeah exactly or start like using substances to kind of deal with those negative emotions right those emotions that are kind of left a little unchecked um so one thing i want to think about and is you know anytime we talk about if we are talking about a certain kind of model not working we've been alluding a little bit to like what it would look like to operate differently this is like such a hard thing to do when you're in a moment, right? Mm -hmm. When you, let's say you notice yourself mind read, like operating off of mind reading. You can recognize that it's happening and you want to stop in that moment. So what you do is you, rather than move forward with that, you clarify, especially if it's in regards to another person, right? So this would look like a lot of the like, like active listening techniques that you hear about nowadays, which is yeah. to like re rephrase and mirror back what you've heard, S like to take it in process it and being like, what I'm hearing is this, is this true? Mm -hmm. Right. So that's one way to do it. I would think another way would be to simply, um, do you think that there is some value in calling out what your instinctual or reflexive reaction is to something? Well, I, and that's to right. To be able to say, like, you know, when yeah. you say this, my immediate feeling is that I'm feeling defensive, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, maybe this is a situation where it's like, um, you know, maybe you clarify, maybe that's a way of clarifying, is kind of being like, I'm feeling defensive right now. It seems like 
either I'm going to need some space or I'm just going to kind of need you to kind of back off a little bit, right? Or reframe this. I feel defensive because X, Y, Z. Being able to say things like, um, I don't know, I'm, we're, we're kind of using a, a, a fabricated situation, so I'm kind of making the situation up as I go. But being able to say something like, oh, I'm feeling defensive because like, um, I feel I feel as though there have been plenty of times where I have engaged in really helpful and, and positive behaviors with you and you don't really acknowledge that but you seem really quick to acknowledge the times when I don't seem to be operating in accord with your expectations and mm -hmm. so for that reason I feel defensive because I feel unseen right and I feel like that's one way to kind of clarify and move forward in a conversation that's sort of just like allowing perhaps a negative reaction even if it is somewhat based on assumption yeah to call it out i think well i mean i had to state a, it i guess if we go back to the boss thing i had an interaction with the boss where he was giving me this criticism and i stopped him and i just said um am i like completing all of my work in a timely manner and he goes yes and i said is my work all like is it good and he said yeah your work is excellent and i said um because one of his criticism wa was that like i didn't put f like a flowery intro in my emails um mm, okay. and i was like <laughs> and i said okay so <clears throat> here's what I want from you moving forward. I said, all I'm hearing is a lot of negativity and criticism. Mm -hmm. And in the future, if you're going to give me criticism, I want you to tell me something positive that I've done before and after you give me the negative feedback. And so... And so you were asking for a compliment sandwich. Yes. Okay. So I said, in the future, I want you to tell me so that I know that, like, um, that... This is and I and I and I told him and I was like and I want it to be constructive. Mm -hmm. I need you to tell me like how I can change that in a that's way that works for important. you. Yes, that's important. So, like we had a, actually in one of my recent classes, um, you know, I'm I'm studying per performance management at the moment, and we had actually a, a chunk of time dedicated to talking about providing feedback and the compliment sandwich, mm -hmm. and we were kind of contesting whether or not a compliment sandwich really works or not, right? And I actually provided the viewpoint that I think that balanced feedback is important because it provides an acknowledgement yeah. that, that helps to balance between positive and negative. Yeah, I need affect. to know what I'm doing well so I can do more of it. Yeah. And I think that it's interesting because some of the opponents of that stance kind of felt like there was... On the flip side, there can be sort of a disingenuous aspect to that or disingenuous kind of tone, which is that like, oh, I have this negative thing to tell you, so I'm going to like come up with something positive to sort of like buffer it. And people use it as almost like to butter up the person receiving it before you give them. I, I, I think that that's probably true in some cases. I think that honestly, if people use it if, that way, I mean, then that's you, the way that it comes across. Yeah, if you genuinely can't find something positive, like that's then i mean there's yeah that's an issue right but like if it's but, if yeah. it's, if you're the type of person that it feels ingenuine to say something positive to someone like there's that's a you issue <laughs> yeah. i think it's fair like i mean let's say let's say it's something like this though let's say you turn in a paper to it like in a class and your teacher is like 
they say something like, um, you did a great job with making sure there were no spelling errors, but I felt that your paper really didn't quite hit the mark in terms of la-di-da. Well, I don't think right? there should ever be a but. Right. Because but would negate anything that you just said before. Okay. So, all right. So maybe the word and, right? If I, I hear what you're saying about not using the word but. I think my example, I, I'm still providing an example that I think is, is sort of demonstrative of this, which is being being careful as the person giving that feedback that you don't create some sort of like that you don't just sort of exploit the model and yeah. understand the spirit of the model, yeah. which is that your listener is going to be more receptive to, I think that they'll, what they'll be more receptive to is genuine information, genuine thought, mm -hmm. detailed information that is presented in a way that is it's pretty clear that you in that you are of a positive intent, right? Yeah. Which isn't always going to be like you. There's other factors that play into that, like the nature of the relationship as well. The quality and the trust, underlying trust in the relationship, is also a part of that, mm -hmm. right? And I think that knowing how to be specific. Well, that's what that's some of the takeaways from that conversation is like. The feedback is to be directed at the behavior or the work, not a, a, a judgment of the person. Mm -hmm. And also that it should be detailed and clear exactly what the feedback sort of is. And furthermore, the so often missing part of feedback is a combination of either suggesting, if you have think you have a better idea, of really laying out what that improved behavior or response looks like or mm -hmm. being willing to work together with your listener your receiver to work together to figure out what that looks like yeah right to say like hey you know instead of it kind of being like um just saying things like um you know i'm, I'm really concerned about your work lately being like, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, or even being able no, to say, you say like, this is what I'm observing. Saying, yeah. Saying things like, um, your language is too harsh in your, in your writing and being like, okay, but the thing about it is like, what about it is too harsh. You need to point out. Yeah. I need to where, know. Yeah. Tell me where. And then furthermore, what would an example of making that language look less harsh look like? Yeah. You tell me what would come across as less harsh, or I can certainly brainstorm with you ways to improve upon this specific topic at hand. Yeah. So I think, I, I think to kind of bring this all around a little bit, it's kind of like clarify, confirm, be curious. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think it's also important for that person. Well, I, I get for that person who's giving the feedback to be able to like recognize and acknowledge when it's more just their own preference. But yeah, if you are the boss, let's say in that situation, or well, no, I mean even just in life. Like if again, if we're going back to like boundary setting, this is how I like something. You know. Um, I take issue when someone tries to tell me that this is how it should be or like this is normal or like this is like the way like kind of a generalized 
expectation when it really it's just like this is your preference like that boss i mentioned like like with the him criticizing me about emails ultimately i i i just countered and i was like okay i what i need you to do is stop putting that on me as if it's something that is like as if your expectation is anything other than your own preference mm-hmm. um like i will do it while I'm working for you because it's your preference, but don't try to tell me that it's the way things should be done. And he goes, his like response was like, well, no, it is. And I said, no, that wasn't a question. Like, do not treat me as if like your way is the way. Um, I'm happy to comply because you're my boss and I will make the adjustment while I'm working for you. Mm. But it is not the way it's things an important need to be distinction done. for sure for sure well i think that to me is like um it is a function of i like the expert fallacy i think in some ways and i also think that it's also uh, i think that's a little less sinister to me than the uh, the need to control need to control and being like i will only be satisfied with the outcome if it is done in the way that i have specified yeah and i think you know i think there's it's going to depend a little bit upon what you're talking about like i think in almost any in most situations you're going to have the opportunity for people to take a person their own personal approach i think there are some specific areas like let's talk about things like um like like think about it's like safety protocols or like legal proceedings Mm -hmm. there is kind of like a modicum of like this is the way that it has to be done because there is a kind of like there's an evidence base there's an established order of it but when it just comes to someone's own individual workflow i think that that it would be really unfair to say that that needs to be prescribed to be a certain way for sure well i i mean i think if you are the boss it's fine to say like this is how i want it done Mm -hmm. but like you can't then say this is the right you can't necessarily say this is the right way to do it like this may be a way that works for you Mm -hmm. um but like you should also be open to other perspectives yeah um and so yeah i think uh um that's where like i had the issues like because yeah sometimes we're also like that mind reading can be more all we also start to then mind read from this place of like social conformity mm-hmm. um where we believe that it's like social norms are the way mm-hmm. um when it's like no like not necessarily yeah i think for me some of the big takeaways from this is like number one like mind reading is um It's a skill, but you have to be very judicious and be very careful about when you flex that skill. It is not one that I would I would personally say is worth like brandishing as if it makes you. I don't even know if I'd call it a skill. It's a. I know that you have different because if we about yeah it. if we look at if I we think... rely on it as a skill, it's like then we are more likely to just trust in it like without confirmation 
But that's what that's the second half what I was, of what I was saying is that you have to be very careful about when you're going to exercise that skill. I think there are some very there are some very specific circumstances in which it may be it may be appropriate to be able to read a situation and to act quickly in response to it. So, for example, like if you are someone like there are certain behaviors that I think people engage in when they are in very imminent, if they're facing a very imminent threat. And if you are someone who's able to identify those markers, there may be an opportunity for you to intervene in a way that makes it, you, you could be saving someone in some way. Mm. In which case, there is not time to check people's assumptions. I think there are times when that's the case. But most of the time, in situations that are much less dire than that, I would be very careful about using mind reading. Well, I mean, it's those situations that we have, um, like black boys and men being shot by police officers because they mind read and determined that in this life threatening situation, you had a gun Yeah, when well, you were yeah. just like scratching your balls. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, life, life threatening is I'm, I'm, I think it's, we'd have to spend a lot more time to, like defining what that is. Like, I'm talking about, like, let's say you are someone who is, like, this goes beyond, like, I guess maybe we're going beyond even, like, controllable behaviors. Like, let's say, for example, if you have someone who you know, and most most people show these signs, like, let's say someone is about to, um, let's say someone is showing all the signs that they are about to enter like a catatonic state Mm -hmm. but they insist that they're fine they're like no i'm just gonna go lay down but you as a person you know like that person is about to pass out and faint yeah this would be a time where you can maybe assume that you know what's best and act on their on act in their best interest right that's a that's an example of like an ask for forgiveness rather than permission kind of situation the situation you're describing i think is very different Mm -hmm. um anyway yeah there are like minor or so like or like when my like when my partner is working and I go to like um, give him a hug and a kiss and but he's like I can he tenses up like I can mind read and know he's really stressed his work it's not about me mm-hmm. like I can uh, and so if I'm making the inference that like okay he just needs some space like it needs to be left alone so he can focus um, that's like yeah that's a fine way to do that also yeah um, I think it's where we, we end up making it into some like there's we end up having these like snowball kind of effect um totally yeah yeah 